Stephen, ask a question. You can, of course. Why do you have a big pile of playing cards? Are you going to do a magic trick? Well, you know how normally we have to arrange our podcast schedule around Chinch's holiday making? He does holiday a lot. And how was Portugal, by the way? Hang on. Don't turn this on to me and criticise me. Talk about your beer mats or your coasters, whatever they are. I had a lovely holiday in Portugal. Weather was amazing. Didn't want to come back. It was only you guys. Not necessarily you. Mainly you two that brought yeah. me back. That's yeah. it. So you, yeah. you flew home for this appointment today? Always, with Steve. Us. Always. That is very, that is very gracious. It is, isn't it? I too have been away, and by contrast to Chinch, who has been sunning himself on the beach, I have been up the Pyrenees in Andorra on a skiing holiday. It was fabulous, but I was massively underprepared in terms of layers of clothing available. So before I went, I thought, and I know you've also acquired recently because it's been staying in Manchester some woolen hats, I needed a new woolen hat. And I thought, what better to show our newfound support for West Didsbury and Chulton AFC than well, to get yeah. myself a club bobble hat for my trip to Andorra. Do, do they sell that sort of um, gear? West yeah. Chulton? And they, ha- they had a new one and it looked really cool. And okay. I thought that would be ideal. Yeah, but, oh, hang on. What's, What's he what? doing in there? Hang on. He's shredding. He's shredding documents. Why Dodgy you, documents. Why are you clearing out the office now? We're working. He has got the blender out in the kitchen and is producing what can only be described as purple gloop. <laughs> looks like cowpole. Are it you does, making cowpole? It does look like it. <laughs> is that a smoothie, Hugh? It's a smoothie. He's making it. can't smoothie. hear you over the noise of the shredder. Stroke blender. In the sort of reverse of what babies do, are we now moving from solids onto liquids? I am slightly concerned that there is no food that's going to be accompanying. Is this is this technically a meal? A I smoothie? Is it technically so. a meal? I wouldn't have thought so. What's? Are we he's, just gonna gonna every time. he's just going to every time we try and engage with him, he's just going to press the button again. Yeah, yeah. That's it. yeah. It's typical of him, isn't it? Right. Button presser. So yeah. I ordered myself this very very cool Wested Brian Chulton woolen hat. Thank you. Hugh. Sorry, Hugh. Days the smoothies are arriving Thank before you. the trip before the trip to Andorra. But in the packaging, along with the woolen hat, was this huge pile of stickers and club paraphernalia. Okay. Including, brilliantly, one featuring the Bee Gees, who are famously from the Chilton area of Manchester. I knew they were from Manchester. I did not know they were from Chilton. From Keppel Road in Chilton. So the sticker says, West Disbury and Chilton. Just off the Keppel Road Casuals. I see. And they very look, clever. in that picture, they look very, very, very casual. Which one's Barry? Barry is the, the big hairy one, one that looks like a lion. He does. Look, he looks a lot like a lion. I think he's the one that's still alive as well, which is a bit of a giveaway. And Robin and Maurice are the other ones, aren't they? Morris. Morris. Maurice. 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 It was Morris yeah. in Chilton and then yeah. Maurice in LA. Maurice. Um, so there's only three of them, was there? There were only three of them. Yeah, okay. And my Barry's still alive and the other two are very tragically. My first yeah, celebrity uh, autocrush oh, was sorry. of Robin Gibb. Is that right? Yeah. He came into the radio station where I worked, and I had started a few weeks before. I was just the the weekend newsreader, nothing more. And um, he still was very welcoming. Did he Did he have that Michael Bolton kind of no hair at the front, loads of hair at the back business? No, to, he had he had uh, a fairly even spread. Oh, okay. Um, uh, he had got rid of the Michael, Bob, Michael Bolton back bit, but very much still had the Michael Bolton. Top were you, were you in were you in awe of him? Yes, I, I love. I think the Bee Gees are excellent musicians. There's two that I like particularly here. The, um, one of these stickers out of the Bee Gees. <laughs> there is a one in the in the colours of the pride flag that says "Love has no labels." West Disbury and Chawton Football Club on a label. Important. Well, I like message. that. You can you can have. There you go. Did I see one with hummus for you? It. And the other one uh, is <laughs> an EU flag. With the club crest, I in knew it, you'd like that one. Which is, um, I think, making clear the West Isbury Chalton. People say football isn't political. Uh, the West Isbury Chalton FC view on Brexit. Do you not like this one, which is of us celebrating West Isbury and Chalton AFC um, with the friends? Yeah, logo. Logo saying hummus. Yeah, but I don't get it. <laughs> because we're very middle class and we like hummus. We are, do you know what? I was trying to buy, find some Pak Choi in Didsbury the other day and there wasn't any in well, Didsbury. Well, that's ridiculous. Why did you not just go to the Pak Choi shop <laughs> on Barlowmore Road the in Didsbury? The, um, the people were wandering about look, blinking into the sunlight thinking there's no Pak Choi. What on earth will, what on earth will we do? How will I garnish my curry? Yeah. Uh, but te- I, Tesco I has it, so no, try didn't a bit Tesco out. That was one of the complaints. All the Tescos? When the B- I didn't try Parswood. When the BBC moved north a few years ago, one of the complaints from staff that there was only one specialist cheese shop in Didsbury. But what a cheese shop. I know, it's enough for Didsbury and many, many towns beyond. my second favourite cheese shop in this country. And 
the other one's in Settle in North Yorkshire. It's fantastic. Right? The, I would quite like the Cheese Hamlet to sponsor us. That would be, that would pay us in Manchego. That would be. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Well, look, good call. Also, in the packaging with my West Isbury and Chorlton uh, bobble hat was for each one of us membership to the club. Is that right? Andy, there's oh, yours. Oh, hello. Hugh, congratulations. You are member number 120. Yes, I well, am. Hang on, hang on. You're member 120. I'm number 121. That can't be right. I've got some bad news for you. Smith, Rory, member hashtag 119. Oh, hang on. Steve, hashtag 118. That's not, in that context, if I don't want to be a pedant, that's not a hashtag. That, that just means number. Yeah, but that's so that people understand what I'm talking about. Do you think about. there's an entire generation, generation of people who don't know that that symbol means number? Yes, and they are now roughly 25 years old. That is terrifying. That membership will see you through to, to the end of the calendar year, and as well, so that you don't have to carry your membership card around with you at all times. I'm going to wear this There is air. also, for each of us, a West Didsbury and Chalton Supporters Club tin badge. Do you think you have to wear that on that? Do you know what? If I try to wear that on my lapel, it would they, they would snaffle it off. Really? Would they? Yeah. Actually, no. Well, maybe they wouldn't, because you're not allowed to wear charity certain charity things, because they're very saying, well, we, we support all charities, so you can't have just yeah. one. So maybe if you're a football club, though. If this is where my allegiances clearly lie, Does maybe Martin they'll let Tyler me... allow himself a Kingstonian? Not that I know of, but I could set the trend, couldn't I? Yeah. And the West Didsbury and Chalton support has always been in my heart. <laughs> Ever since today. Ever since five seconds ago. <laughs> From right, now on that's forever. That's a really nice badge. I am known to wear It's that. a super badge, isn't it? It's a lovely badge. Let's yes. all put it on our uh, uh, customer-facing paraphernalia. Absolutely. Anyway, it was... <laughs> customer-facing <laughs> paraphernalia. It was what? above and beyond oh, the are. guys at the club to, to send those in the post. Because they, they saw that I'd ordered the hat. Yep. They listened to the podcast, so they thought, what better way to firmly root us in our support for West Didsbury and Chorlton. They did say they wanted to stick a membership in for Hector, but they didn't want to discriminate against the other pets within the Set Piece Menu podcast yeah, family. Mm. cats supporting them, honestly? <laughs> um, thank you very much indeed. By the way, uh, West Didsbury and Chorlton, what you don't know is that Steve um, lost the hat in Andorra. So. <laughs> You've lost your hat. No, I did not. This Have is you? Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Our food is food, even though it comes in quasi-liquid form. Everybody is smacking their lips as they enjoy it. It is nice, actually. A fruit granola and natural yoghurt smoothie. With me, Hugh Ferris, are Stephen Wyeth, the John Lewis of commentators, Rory Smith, the Waitrose of writers, <laughs> and Andy Hinchcliffe, the little of left-backs. Oh. <laughs> uh, do get in touch, as you have been in your droves the last few weeks. Thank you very much for all your correspondence uh, on Twitter. We are at setpiecemenu, and our email address is setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Many of you responded to last week's pod in particular about what's the best goal. Uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, we will get to some of your correspondence later on in the show. Uh, indeed, we will eschew a soccer story this week in order to focus on some of your comments, and I will I will be doing some Twitter takedowns because some of the correspondence has, frankly, completely misunderstood the nature of the conversation that we were trying to have. <laughs> That's my yeah. fault for articulating it badly. First, though, we start this week's show with an email from Phil Horn. What has happened, says Phil, to the really big clubs, mainly outside London, that used to be such a big part of the top division? He goes on to suggest some. Wolves, Leeds, Sheffield Wednesday, Aston Villa, Coventry, Nottingham Forest. They all seem to have been in the doldrums for so long they have been forgotten by your average Premier League fan. You've often talked about the difference, uh, saying about our podcast between City, United, Chelsea, et al. versus the rest of the Premier League. So many of the rest seem to be made up of smaller town clubs who seem to have developed a niche that allows them to succeed if succeeding is surviving. Is there only so much space for clubs that can get 40,000 plus gates? Is it just the law of averages, given that most football clubs seem to be run by people without much business acumen? And he finally says, I'm sure Pep and his contemporaries would find a packed Elland Road or Hillsborough a far more intimidating place than the fabled Stoke City at night match. That from Phil Horn, which with his permission, we will take and run with why have some old slash traditional big clubs fallen away when others have flourished and we're going to add this too why do some supporters of those clubs still cling on to those historic statuses we're going to try and use your contributions to prompt the direction of the conversation too but first are we happy with phil's examples of big clubs that are in the doldrums for example um, from twitter over the last couple of days classic phil i'm assuming it's a different phil are we talking about your old pre-war clubs or slightly more modern Premier League 
clubs who are pretty big around the start of the Premier League era. So Preston North End or Sheffield Wednesday, Blackpool or Aston Villa. Yeah, we have to work out what clubs we're talking about. And is this, do we have to look at them all individually or can we put them together in a group and say it's happened to all these big clubs from certain periods of time? Is a big club, as Andy Brown has said on Twitter, just being in the right place at the right time when the obscene money came mm. into the game and is it everybody who falls before that that we're talking about and I think Phil Horn is right when he suggests those teams that have fallen away we can go as far back as teams like Blackpool and Preston North End but I think more pertinent to the discussion are those like Nottingham Forest Leeds United uh, regional clubs big clubs from, from bigger cities mm. who have since fallen away and the likes of Stoke Burnley Bournemouth have seemingly replaced yeah. them. Is it purely in financial? Premier League language. I think in that sense, you probably have to differentiate between maybe big clubs, in inverted commas, I'm doing the inverted commas quote. Very nicely as well. Uh, <laughs> with um, with historical clubs, which is obviously Stoke and Black, but, uh, Stoke and Burnley are massively historical clubs. Stoke certainly were found a member of the Football League. Burnley may well have been as well, I can't remember. They, they go back to the, to the, previous, com- or the, the previous era who have... Yeah. been in the doldrums and now returned. And come back. So they do have a relevance in both. I think maybe for the sake of, of not making this a massively kind of, well, more so than usual, uh, over, over, overweening discussion that has no point, maybe we focus on the big city clubs, that teams like Villa, teams like Leeds. Yeah. Uh, on the continent, maybe teams like Marseille, who have fallen away a little, lost their position of, um, of primacy, although I'm doing very well this season. The, rather this is than not just historical English teams. Yeah. Yes, and we'll come to that later. But yes. let's, let's start with those, those English clubs. We are all of the age, Parkinson, who, who grew up in an era Gosh. where quite a lot of those indelible names on uh, league titles, European Cups, um, Nottingham Forest a particular example mm. of that, and Aston Villa too, um, where we used to almost have them as our, we have conversations about second teams before, they always used to be our kind of second team, the team that we liked that did better than ours because they were, they were the, the, the team of the moment, the, the team of the era. And those teams have very much fallen away. They are not part of that conversation anymore. Yeah, of for, the 70s for, and 80s in particular. Yes, yeah, so that's what I was going to say. I'm looking back, obviously, when I was born late 60s, a lot older than you guys, clearly. But 70s and 80s, Forest were, were, really were the team that I looked at. But then Brian Clough managing them as well. Were they just, it was just a point in time or a period in time where Forest were just fantastic for. Not necessarily, clearly not financial reasons. They were a very good side with a very good coach. And that was their time. Things obviously changed financially enormously for lots of clubs as well. And in time, will Forest get back to where they were before? But they have to do it in a modern way rather than how they were doing it in the 70s and 80s. And because tried. they were so specific tried many times. to what they had back then and why wonder, they were so successful then. I wonder whether all of them, throughout, throughout the kind of 130-year span of, of lead football, whether it, the teams that are successful are... They, they are very much of their time. So the reason that Preston were a powerhouse early early on was because football was a, was a, a town game, not a small town game, but a town game. It wasn't being, being able to attract a bigger crowd because you, you're from a big city. So when are we talking, Preston? Like 80, the 1890s. Okay. The, for, for a long, long time in football, it, it didn't really matter whether you're... So the, mate, the primary driver of money was gate receipts mm-hmm. for a long time. And in the 50s, 60s, that meant that the big city clubs started to dominate because they got more and more money in. Yeah. But prior to that, it wasn't that important as the, the amount of money before the maximum wage was abolished in 61. It didn't really matter how much money you had because everyone kind of had to pay yeah. the same amount. Of, and you could, sign, you could sign players, as Sunderland did, the team of all the talents in, in the 1890s and then the Bank of England club in the 1920s. The... You, you could sign players, but it didn't always have that direct... There wasn't that direct correlation between how much money you had and how much success you had. So the teams teams like Preston, and then later on Blackpool and Burnley, could be successful because the financial playing field was level. Yes. So that is then distorted by gate receipts in the 50s and 60s when, when more money starts to come into the game and you can pay players more. So the, there is a more direct correlation between how much money you have and how successful you are. And you can attract more players yeah. which again is self-perpetuating exactly so that you then become successful which means you get an era of of big city clubs being the, the sort of preeminent forces but because money isn't totally kind of hoarded by certain teams you can get a forest who or an Ipswich or a Derby or whoever who can be successful 
on a little on kind of smaller gates and and less money and then obviously 92 comes along and the the continuum is broken because what matters now is money yeah so what i would it's, say which was a good uh, a good one to bring into the conversation as well very much an example of the provincial town yeah. that had been successful so what so what made them ipswich was it they just happened to have really good players and well, a really good it, coach at that time yeah, same that's argument, just as simple as that same yeah. argument as nottingham forest are we mm. going to end up saying that these these clubs having a, a moment in the limelight was simply that it was the exception not the rule instead of us trying to make it sound like now is the exception and the rule is what happened previously mm. Huddersfield being another one actually in the 20s with Herbert Chapman um, yeah it's getting the right manager it's getting the right players it's it's taking advantage of of various sort of circumstances that, you, that are, are maybe not entirely within your control it's working well even in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s it's working well in the environment but the environment that they were in yeah. was much more conducive to that happening than it is now so you can't get a forest Forest or Ipswich or Derby or whoever couldn't come along and you know appoint a visionary yeah. manager and get a load of good players yeah. win the yeah. league it wouldn't happen so yeah, you, you can't have a good coach and a couple of exceptional players and mould a team around that to to catapult yourself up through the football pyramid and are we also saying that, that those clubs have arguably lost their way now to the extent where the, where the moment is gone and unless some mega rich benefactor uh, as we've seen at Manchester City in recent seasons comes in the likes of Nottingham Forest Leeds United Aston Villa will will never be able to drag themselves back well in all those clubs have been taken over by wealthy owners so the only way but, back but in, not the, in modern football is to spend huge amounts of money because that's what you simply have to do to succeed wealthy by most people's standards yes, but yes, not yes, wealthy yes. by the standards of Manchester City and PSG yes, yes, yes. So what, yeah. what you do with that money it's not just money it is what you do with that money and the sense that there is and a lot of people have got in touch and will come on to in just a moment there is a sense that it's not not just the success of the money it's the success of how you distribute that money yeah. and perhaps how uh, medium to long term your thinking is and not just short term so I think this is really important from Phil's original email there's a really good point which is that that Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp and Pochettino and what have you would find a Saturday a sunny Saturday afternoon at Ellen Road mm-hmm. more intimidating than a wet Tuesday night at Stoke that's right, and that has had a huge impact. The fact that Leeds, Villa, Sunderland, I suppose, um, Forest, teams like that, Sheffield Wednesday, mm-hmm. Sheffield United to an extent, that they've fallen away has had, a, and we've discussed this before, has had a material impact on on the way football is played in the Premier League. So Arsenal vendors call it the 70-30 league. That's because if you're Bournemouth, you can be at home to Manchester United and your fans will accept you having 30% possession. Leeds fans will, will, would not accept that. Yeah. Leeds fans would not, Villa fans would not assume that it is normal that Chelsea turn up and dominate the ball. Do those clubs not need to change their mindset then a little bit? Does this buy, in, does this buy into the, the, the fact that there is that lingering sense of entitlement amongst supporters of those clubs who still hark back to the glory years and still see Leeds as the equivalent to Manchester United? Do Leeds fans have to accept that that is not the case? And if they were to get themselves back into the Premier League, which I think most people would agree, if the likes of Leeds and Forest and Villa were back in the Premier League, that would be a good thing for the competition. But that if they did so, they would be one of those teams outside of the top six who simply were starting every season trying to avoid relegation. Like Newcastle, who yeah. basically ceded all possession and territory to, to Man City over Christmas, which we've discussed before. The other, the, the other knock-on effect of that is that what what qualifies a team as big has changed. So Steve's quite right that that mentality has to has to be altered a little bit. But that's because Leeds are a big club in the sense they have loads and loads and loads of fans. They've got a great stadium. They can potentially get forty thousand into Allen Road. But in terms of money, they're not a big club. Bournemouth are a big club. Mm. Bournemouth are one of the thirty richest clubs in the world. They are a big club. So that has the context has changed for what qualifies you as big, and that's that has given those those big city teams a problem. Because they are not only under pressure to be more successful short term, they also have that that lingering historical sense that they are the equals of the big six, this group of clubs they can't compete with. And that pressure is why they haven't all, 
all of them, despite takeovers, made poor decisions, which is why they are now in the mess that they're in, which is why they've fallen away. Which is a perfect segue to some of the co you. correspondence that we've had. Yes, we, we've, we've decided that it isn't the case anymore. So how has it become the case that these big city teams aren't competing like they used to in the good old days? Stephen Dando has got in touch to say, big topic, I would say at a very simple level, it's about the way that the club's board slash owners acted when the Premier League started. Some carried on in the same way as before, and others recognised that they could create revenue via commercial means and buy the best players to stay big. Paul Gross um, has something of an equation for us to consider. Luck plus smart ownership plus good choice of managers. Once the Champions League became open to the top three or four rather than just the champions, it became self-perpetuating as more money and better players wanting to play in the most elite competition came to those who qualified. And this from uh, Indius Maximus, who's in Zurich. He says, it seems like they assumed things would carry on as normal while new money clubs pursued a more modern approach. Globalisation isn't just about having more fans in Asia. It's about monetizing those opportunities. While City, for example, are building a global brand, United are building a team of stars with their own financial support. This is great for engagement online, but relies on these stars performing together at a high level on the field as well. Some owners want to make a profit from the club, which restricts the forward momentum uh, of it as well as it impacts strategy. So there have been some boardroom, it's very dry, but there have been some boardroom decisions made at crucial moments, or in fact, not necessarily decisions, wrong decisions made, decisions not being made that has left them fall a step behind. Yeah, another another tweet that came in more recently from Christian Heniage, who struck the sweet pot spot of our uh, our love of music and football. He said, it's a bit like what Miles Davis said about playing a bum note. You shouldn't focus on that. You should focus on the next one you're about to play. Too many of the clubs focused on bad decisions they made instead of how best to rectify it. Nottingham Forest, relegated from the Premier League in 1990, have had 25 changes of manager mm. since. Stability is surely a big factor in why those clubs have failed to claw their way back up to the big time. Leeds, another one. Leeds were relegated three years after they played in the Champions League semi-final and have never been able to find their way back. So these clubs are not just a victim of how the football world has changed. They've actually all individually made huge decisions that were, were wrong mm. at that time. So yeah. it's a combination. Not to say money's come in, so players are more likely to want to play in London or in Manchester, not go to Nottingham or to Ipswich. It's actually how those clubs were run at the key time. Those decisions were made, were, were wrong decisions, which affected the club as well as the changing world of football. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, but the pattern, the fact that this has befallen so many big city teams is significant. And that, that must be, at least in my mind, and I'm willing to be corrected, because they are under much more pressure from their fans to get it right. So there's more, there's more speed, less haste, or wh whichever way around that phrase is meant to be. They've been under pressure to compete, so they've, they've made short-term decisions that haven't worked. They've then entered this cycle of, Leeds is a great example, entered this cycle of kind of chaos where nothing works, and you just you, you enter this vortex and, and you, can't get, you can't get out of it. Whereas smaller teams aren't under that same pressure. Yeah. So teams like Swansea or Bournemouth, who've both built come up through the, through the leads because they found, they found a good manager, they found a way of working, they found a style and they've stuck with it. That is a privilege that... And, and some injection of cash as well, which is... And, yeah, well, certainly in Bournemouth, there's less so in Swansea. But the, um, they've, they've been able... Even, you know, even Southampton, even Southampton, who are historically quite a big team, were able to drop down and build a model that worked. That's something that Leeds and Villa say have obviously not... Well, it's like Sheffield Wednesday. I went down with Sheffield Wednesday. They've been out of the Premier League for 18 years. Why you phrase that, Chinchy? You went down... Sorry, Sheffield Wednesday... Sheffield Wednesday went down with me on board. Because of you. Not because of me, but I played a huge contributing factor. But they had not gone down until you Yes, but they've been out of the Premier League for 18... Over the course of 18 years, a club like Sheffield Wednesday, not saying they've had... And they haven't had great finances all the way along, but during that time, you would feel they surely would have worked out a way of getting it right and getting back. Is that the problem again? Once you drop out, is getting it right and making big decisions, getting it right... So intense. Yes, you yeah. are overreaching. Yeah. You are making short-term errors because you you know where you should be. And you're and desperate in, to get there. In, instead of uh, just thinking long-term and regrouping and planning how the best to provide success. Yeah, the board, the board can't go to the fans and say... We've got to get back now. Yeah, now. yeah, but the board aren't going to say to the fans, you know what, we're going to give it five or six years and we'll be back in the Premier League. No, fans don't, clearly... Don't say that. <laughs> yes, but that, you, you can't come out and say that, but you've got to plan for that, I presume. Is that, this, is that the way yeah. to, to do it? This is where Steve's right, that, that, that 
and I, I say this with great affection for quite a lot of these clubs, particularly Leeds, that if they want to get it right, the fans' mentality has to change, not just in the sense that you accept that you're no longer able to compete with Manchester United and that you have to give them 70% of the ball, but that you have to take the same approach that has worked for, worked for Swansea, worked for Burnley, worked for, worked for much of these worked for a lot of these smaller teams, which is you find, you forget the past. You say, let's not be beholden well, who to what change, we were. Who changes that mentality then? The board, coach, has, the, board, the, the, club. board. the club? The club hierarchy yeah. Yeah. has to say, the world is not what it once was. We don't occupy the same position in that world. Mm. So we will, we will approach this as a smart thinking, smart working, smaller club would. We'll take, we, we have established mm. long ago on set piece menu, that the only true philosophy in football is that if you have a plan, whatever that plan is, it will work because most teams don't have a plan. If you're Leeds or whoever, you, you, you say, right, we need to stick with this. This will work if we give it time to grow. And you trust yourselves, to, you back yourselves to make that, make that decision and be patient and, and bear with something. You take the same approach that Swansea did or Southampton did or whoever, rather than thinking, we are Leeds, we are Aston Villa, we are Sheffield Wednesday, we have to get back straight away. So you think that, in, in many ways, you're looking at Leeds in particular, Massimo Cellino, when he was in charge, he really played up, to, 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 up to the fans. <laughs> he, and he, he did he ex- the fans. exactly what Roy just said. Yeah. That was very much Cellino. Really he, he felt what the fans wanted was... So he chopped and changed his coaches every kind of six or five or six games. And he was just but that's the last thing you clearly yeah. should be doing. He did say, the same thing the fans, at Cagliari in Italy, yeah, yeah. where he the, was the, previously. The fans yeah. are not irrelevant, but I've got to do what is right for this club. Look at Aston Villa yeah. getting Steve Bruce in, saying, we're not going to play glamorous football, but we'll get promoted. Then we think again, but we get promoted doing the right thing. I, yes, I kind of agree. And I was at the Birmingham derby with you, Chinch, although you didn't, you didn't notice me. Apparently you took a photograph of I me. I took a photograph never rang me to say you were there, which you is were interesting. A, well, no, I yeah. arrived really late and yeah. didn't have time. By the time I got there, you were already pitch side. I was going touchscreen crazy. You were touch and you were sort of rearranging your your, your undergarments constantly. It was very embarrassing. <laughs> 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 we, know, we know the reason for that. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah, the, the thing is, I don't. Oh, he, yeah. he has made, and he will never. Anyway, back to anyway, back to Aston Villa and Leeds. The, the thing with Villa is, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they are a great example because they might go up this year, mm-hmm. and in that case, what Tony Gia has done will have worked. But if they don't go up. They've got a massive problem because their their wage bill is hugely inflated. They've got all these relatively kind of unsaleable players. Your, your they, point is being undermined by by Chinch slurping, by slurping the end of the, his movie. Carry on. So Villa have kind of have kind of done. <laughs> <laughs> you can really taste the avocado, can't you? <laughs> Villa have kind of done the opposite of what we're saying is wise, but in this case it might work. The risk that you take is that it might not, mm. and that's what happened to Leeds, who made the playoff yeah. final in two thousand and. So what are Villa doing nine? wrong? Villa have short term they're doing it right they've yeah. got players, players you can in. take the risk for one season yeah. you can take the, 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 the try and get the get bounce so yeah, yeah. Warnock the theory yeah. get Warnock in to get you up and yeah. then figure out what's next oh yeah. that was always the plan get out of the league and then yeah. maybe buy seven or eight new players and once you get promoted that's fine yeah. if it works yeah. the problem that you get is if it doesn't work yeah. what do you do then mm. you're then stuck with this massive wage bill these players that you can't sell yeah. and you don't have as much money it can, it can lead yeah. to a lot of yo-yoing that's where the cycle but that's where the cycle starts that's what happened to Leeds Leeds almost went pretty much straight back up lost to Watford got battered by Watford in the playoff final. I've never seen a team play so badly off the record there's an interesting theory about why that might have been but the it almost worked for Leeds when it didn't work they then found themselves trapped and entered what has become this spiral into nonsense although I do quite like the appointment of Paul Heckingbottom and he's a good manager so Rory is right about the plan thing it was something that worked for you mentioned Southampton they dropped down into League One the third tier of English football and they said right we've got a five year plan to get ourselves back to the Premier League so they didn't raise hopes that it was going to happen they actually said this yeah five year plan they focused on developing young players which is something that they developed a reputation for and they also did a thing that we've seen in other other divisions in other countries. They siphoned off the best players that they thought were available at that level from other clubs. So they strengthened themselves, weakened their opponents, yeah. and got themselves up. And, and they were able to do that with the new ownership and having a little bit more money than everybody absolutely. else. Absolutely. And then they, they had a similar thing that I think had happened with Norwich the previous year where they got that little bit of luck. Bounce, they rode the yeah. crest of the wave and they sailed straight through the championship and back up again. Didn't get stuck, which a lot of these clubs will get yeah. stuck. Which yeah. is what is so difficult about English football in particular is that that second tier is just s- such a quagmire, isn't it, to, to navigate. 
The other thing that clubs like Swansea, Norwich, Southampton have managed to avoid is the arrogance and complacency of some of these bigger clubs who, who have almost, and, and it, we've seen it with successive owners, and that filters down into the fan base. We are Leeds United. We are Sheffield Wednesday. We are Aston Villa. It's going to be okay. Mm. We are a big club, so the best players at this level will want to play for us. And that means that everything will come together nicely. We'll end up with a team good enough to earn promotion and that will get us back to the Premier League. It's almost as though the the ownership, even when the ownership of the clubs changes, they're so consumed by the historical status of those clubs that they simply believe they don't need to put a foolproof plan in place because the size and strength well, of the Sunderland. club look at yeah. Sunderland. Well, yeah. Yeah. how well, many clubs have dropped down to League One Sheffield Wednesday been down there Leeds Man City Sunderland are they going to do the same thing so they're not learning from what's happened to other clubs before it's them. not even that they're not learning I think Steve's right I think it's that they are they are actively doing the wrong thing and that, that they're thinking we have this financial power they're living in an age where attendance matters mm. when it doesn't anymore really so quite a few people on Twitter made the point that that small clubs have been smaller clubs have been able to thrive in the the Premier League era, and I don't say Premier League era meaning just Premier League football. It's relevant in other countries as well because the money is filtering down. That smaller clubs have been able to thrive because it doesn't matter if you're Bournemouth and you only get ten thousand coming through the gate because that's a small slither of the pie chart of your income. Well, you, this is a really relevant point. If you look across Europe. In fact, I wrote about this for the, for the Times. It was the actor, London Times, not the New York Times. <laughs> you have to the, differentiate the, now. <laughs> but if you look across Europe, there are lots and lots of really small town teams who have been incredibly successful. Ibar in Spain, um, Sassuolo in Italy, yeah. particularly Paderborn when they came up, made it into an Ingolstadt have been in the mm-hmm. in the in the Bundesliga. But obviously Hoffenheim is a different case. But Hoffenheim quite an example of it. There's Gangrom in France. You love Gangrom. I you? do love Gangrom. I think they are they are unsung heroes as we established several weeks ago. <laughs> Literally yeah. unsung heroes until that moment. Well, Chris Pesch gets uh, in touch on Twitter and he brings up German football and he mentions one of the clubs that you just did then, Rory. I find German football to be interesting because of its ownership model, the 50 plus one uh, model. Um, it's tough on some former great teams. For example, Kaiserslautern, which is Chinch's favourite German yes, team. It's my favourite German team as well. Whilst, is it? Yeah. Kaiserslautern. Yeah. What a uh, wonderful word. It's only because you like the word. Yeah. Roy probably likes some Are the team doubles. any good? No. No, they're terrible. Well, they're here, we, here we go. Let's I return, like them even more. Let's return to Chris's point before uh, poor Chris wonders whether we're actually going to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> While favouring others, um, Leverkusen, Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim and Leipzig. Uh, yet the former, as in Kaiserslautern, is arguably the more popular club. So this has affected German teams in a similar way, but the the legacy, if you like, uh, the lingering favouring of the old club still remains to the point that obviously Leipzig are, are pretty much disliked by a lot of people, a lot of other clubs in Germany. Well, because uh, they're threatening to break that model. Ha- how, yeah. how, they've, how they've decided to do their thing. So... Kaiserslautern, one of the older greats, like a Leeds, like an Aston Villa, but they are still more popular in Germany, despite these newer clubs coming through and making the correct decisions at the correct time. Perhaps Kaiserslautern didn't. Yeah, well, when I saw Chris Pesch's tweet, I just I did look into Kaiserslautern quickly. They've only been in the top flight, the Bundesliga, twice uh, since they were relegated in 2006. They've had a they've had a, a couple of flirtations back in the top flight. They are still the 10th best performing team in terms of their Bundesliga placings in the history of German football. Wow. So even though they've been you know, predominantly out of the top flight for a couple of decades, they are still the 10th. That, that's how big a club they are. So this is just to demonstrate it isn't just an English disease. There are big clubs elsewhere in, in Europe. I think somebody else mentioned Borussia Mönchengladbach. Didn't exactly. They? Nicholas Bampton from Bremen in Germany said, I think that a recipe for a big club is as opposed to a traditional club, is the combination of a sizable, a combination of a sizable trophy cabinet and a modicum of success during the satellite TV era of the 90s and beyond. So Borussia Mönchengladbach only satisfy one of those criteria before they fell away. And this uh, brings us on to the fans aspect, which is how we'll draw this conversation to a close. Regarding the clinging to historic statuses, he says, I guess supporters are inclined to, because if you are not clinging to something, you are just, well, falling. So what about those fans? We've mentioned about the kind of the style of football, but are they supportive of perhaps those wrong short-term decisions because they feel like they're just as desperate and they, they, they perhaps see 
um, the Kuwaitis come into Nottingham Forest and take over with a promise of all sorts of success. And they think, oh, yes, good. This is going to be fine because they don't have the sense of patience that perhaps the owners don't either. I think that, that's you don't want to criticise fans particularly, although we do it a lot. <laughs> the, um, Within a context, I think. But I think in, very the, fairly. in, in this context, to a certain point, it's probably right. I'd, I'd be interested to know with, with teams like Forest. With certainly, well, I imagine with Forest, it's probably changed already. They have to. We have to look. You can't just say Forest and Leeds. Their fans would feel the same way about no w- what they are or the club that they are. No, but I think they both probably they have a have a sense of of size and scope and scale that is that suggests to them in deep down that they are that they are more worthy of a Premier League. I place get a sense of that at Leeds, not so much at Forest. Well, I wonder if some, with with Forest, the, it is a different context, and their their success obviously was 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 was. was their success came as being almost a small town team, almost a throwback to Preston and Blackpool mm. and Huddersfield. And Dar- Derby slots in that little game yeah, yeah, yeah. As well, for yeah. exactly the same reason. Yeah. I mean, Brian Clough. And Wolves in the 50s are the other team that we should probably mention who were the, the preeminent team in the country. The, I wonder if, if they were, because Forest wasn't a. Leeds is, Leeds is, is a one city, a one club city. Yeah. Uh, it's a much bigger one-club city than Newcastle. No one ever bloody talks about that, do they? Honestly. The, um, <laughs> the oh, it's Newcastle. It's I, I love Newcastle, but oh, it's Newcastle. It's, it's, it's you know, the great, the great British one-club city. There's a million people in Leeds. Come on, be serious. So Forest and Ipswich, you think Forest are more and comparable? And Derby and those, but I think the because their success came as small-town teams taking on the big city clubs, they are probably more amenable to the idea of we do need a project, we need to be turned into a Swansea or a Southampton, rather than thinking, well, we should be in the Premier League and finish in fifth because because this is a massive city and this is a massive club. Uh, We should also mention that Leicester, having been that provincial team who won the league, yes, against all the odds, but they still have that now in their recent history, how are they and their fans and their ownership group, how are they going to behave for the following years when success will return, I would imagine, to the mean of what we expect Leicester to do, which is a mid-table Premier League side, or are they going to start to make incredibly rash decisions because they are trying to, to claw back at, at what was in you 2016? Can't, you, can't, you can't say winning the title is surely what Leicester fans are expecting. They, no, no, no. They can't, that was complete, the biggest overachievement that I can remember for a long, long time. Surely finishing since, seventh... Since you played for England. Since I played for England. <laughs> surely seventh, <laughs> played football. seventh for Leicester. Well, a club who else actually talks about this. That's like winning the league because you yep. cannot break into the top six. What Leicester did was incredible, but that is not... Surely their fans can't say, we expect that. See, I know Leicester fans and that clearly isn't but true. With all due respect to Leicester, I think the, the big thing, and I, I think that their fans recognise this, certainly the Leicester fans that I know, my dad's a Leicester fan, there, there is that sense it was just a one-off. It was luck. Literally, the, you know, the stars aligned. Not that yeah. it was luck in a bad, in a bad sense that they got lucky and won the league. But oh, no, no. The stars aligned for them. They, I think there is a, re- a recognition that, that will not happen again. So, do, but do we not think... So, the difference is between Leicester and, say, Nottingham Forest, who won two European Cups, is that they did it over a slightly did, sustained... Did they? they? They never mention it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just check. Tap, 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 tap. But they... In doing so, they had a successful period longer than just a flash-in-the-pan incredible moment. So their expectations mm. as a result of that linger higher and for longer. It's because you get a generation of fans who, who grow, grow up thinking, this is what it's like to be in a Forest fan. So and for people who were 10, 12, 15 yeah. when Forest were winning European Cups, they thought, well, Nottingham Forest are one of the big clubs in the country. We should, that's where we should be. Whereas Leicester won't have that. They will have a group of fans who think... We won the lead once. Yes, and, yeah. and, and I saw I, it. It was great. I yeah. bet... I, you're right. That's the logic to it. I bet there will be a group of Leicester fans who need to recalibrate at some point. Yeah. I was going to say, are, are there 10-year-old Leeds United fans out there thinking, we're Leeds United. No team can come here and end up in the Premier well, League and have 70%. Well, their, surely... Their mum and dad the might new be gen- telling them. Well, yeah, that's, that's the it, thing. Yeah. Surely the new generation of fans, if they've got any brains at all and watching what's in front of them, Okay, they're told about the Leeds teams of the past, but surely the modern generation of young supporter are they? Does that just get instilled in them from? It's, from their pet and that's yeah, just again, so, we are yeah. Leeds. I'm a Leeds fan. This is how you think. It's not just the support of the club that filters down through the generations. Yeah. It's the mindset. Yes. Although I yes. do wonder whether the Premier League is so kind of pervasive in in terms of football culture. Whether there will be, I don't know many ten year olds in Leeds, but whether there will be a um, <laughs> right. That's your that's your project for next week. <laughs> <laughs> Whether there will be a, a slight shifting of that, I mean, I think Steve's right that it, it gets passed down from your parents to you what it's like to be a fan, what what being a fan of a certain club means. 
but I do wonder whether because the, you know the Premier League's on TV all the time, because you see more and more Barcelona and Real Madrid shirts all over the country, because fans are watching Messi and Ronaldo and all this stuff, and and we're, all we hear about is the top six in the Premier League. Whether there will be yeah a generation of Leeds fans that comes through in the next same with Wednesday or Sheffield yeah, yeah. United or whatever that come through in the next 10-15 years whose expectations of what Leeds should be are maybe different to what, okay. what they are now that's an interest, that's a really interesting point well done Chinch well made by Chinch I feel yeah well made by Chinch <laughs> well, well done Chinch <laughs> gold star just, just quickly I know we've not got time to debate this in detail but I'll just fire this one across the bows the other thing that got mentioned um, in the context of this discussion is that yes we have talked about the clubs who perhaps missed out on the money or misspent the early Premier League money and, and fell away whilst Blackpool. others thrived and flourished the likes of Bournemouth <laughs> and Leicester. Chinch has got, got football club Tourette's. Blackpool. <laughs> does, this, does this situation also have... Are there big clubs who, whilst they've managed to remain in the Premier League and have the occasional flirtation with, say, European football, actually underachieved? I'm thinking of a... Everton, yeah. for example, who had, I think before the Premier League era, had won more league titles than Manchester United yes, and yes. have not won one since. And of course, Liverpool are another who have not won the league during the, the Premier League era. So although they're right, no one ever mentions <laughs> that. <either. laughs> so is, is, there a, is there a case to be put to, to clubs who might have retained their Premier League status, but like those others that we've discussed previously, have still somehow failed to live up to the, the status and expectation of them and their supporters. This is another thing that, that cuts across Europe. And you, there was a great piece by Simon Cooper in the Financial Times, which people should dig out, about about these teams. It, it was a little bit kind of conflating the two issues of teams like Leeds and teams like Marseille. But if you look at Marseille and Saint-Étienne in France, they are the two historical powers of French football. And in the last 20, in the satellite TV era, they have been overtaken, obviously, by first by Lyon and then by, by PSG. Uh, it's the same to an extent in Italy that certain teams have fallen away. The Milan bit. clubs, for the, example. The, the Milan clubs. In Germany, I guess it's always kind of been Bayern and Dortmund are the big two. But Schalke, big shout out to Schalke. We love Schalke. Schalke we have listeners at Schalke. Um, Schalke are the third power of German football. and they, they may That's not see. reflected in the success they've had in the last no, couple of decades. No, it's been, a t- a, in terms of winning, winning stuff, it's been a, a t- certainly since the sort of mid-90s, Schalke have had a fairly tough time. Gladbach are, are another one. Um, Hamburg, teams like that. Werder Bremen even, to an extent. Hamburg might get relegated for the first yeah. time in their Hamburg history Dino, this yeah. season. The Bundesliga Dino, Um so it, we, we see this across Europe that that there has been a change in status in the 25 years of the satellite TV era and I think that is, is significant as well that Liverpool I would say were never the biggest club in the country I think they were the best team in the country the most successful but I think Manchester United have always been the biggest club in the country certainly if you speak to anybody who remembers Munich tragedy kind of transcended sport in such a way that a lot of fans of, of older generations have a soft spot for Manchester United Liverpool I think would be just a notch below that Everton certainly are a team who have seen their status shifted but you would still have to say Everton in most in, from most points of view are a big club because they are they are the seventh biggest club in the country Everton and they're not necessarily going to finish seventh this year good luck big Sam but the, um, <laughs> the they are a massive massive club and they, they have ridden the wave better than teams like Leeds or Villa I would like to end uh, this conversation by setting our wonderful listeners a task. It's a task that I think I've done. It might have been over a pint in the pub, so I never actually got to the end of it. Meet um, some 10-year-olds in <laughs> No, because they can't have pints in pubs, That's even true. in Leeds, um, which is to fashion us a 20-team Premier League where those 20 teams are the biggest of our country. So you will f- factor in history, geographical location, catchment area, um, current size, um, and everything that you think of nuance that is relative, that is relevant to this debate. 20 teams, a Premier League, a set-piece menu Premier League, which is the 20 teams that you think best represents football, its history, its current state, and also its geographical spread. Um, so, Plymouth fans, this is your chance. That, that, is, brilliant. that is brilliant. So I love that. Premier League teams, get in touch, at set-piece menu. Oh, Steve, or, Steve, or Steve set no, turning into an American-style franchise system. Really, That's what is he? Trying to do I'm, yeah. I'm just intrigued. We're not going to be handing out any franchises whatsoever. Um, and the fact is, is that the American franchise system is 
been completely undermined by, by everybody going to Los Angeles recently and into Las Vegas as well. So it doesn't necessarily uh, make that point. But thanks, Steve, for undermining it. Uh, so a set-piece menu, Premier League. Get involved, please. 20 Premier League teams who you think would be the best best reflection Not of... Not Premier League, just 20 teams. 20 yeah. teams. 20 who will, top who flight. A 20 in, team. Yeah, who, who would be, be the 20 teams? It would be the SP League. Forget Premier League. The set-piece menu league. The, the SPMPL. That's it. Okay, that's, that's it. That's, that's it. But now we're going to talk goals. Let's talk goals. Let's talk goals. So instead of a soccer story, um, Chinch, because I want you to very much get yourself in the frame of mind of something different at this part of the show, which I know is very difficult for you because you're very much all about preparation. Yeah. All about yeah, uh, kind of mental aptitude and, and making change. sure. I, I do <laughs> fear change. change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we asked on last week's show, what is the best goal? Um, uh, thank you for all your feedback. Um, first of all, can I say... What's the best goal is a different question to which is the best goal. Yeah. What's the best goal was what kind of goal in the way that it, it involves build-up, the kind of execution of skill, um, the combination play involving the context is absolutely fine too. That is what's the best goal. Which is the best goal is I like that one that that guy scored on that day. Yes. That is a different conversation. Too many, so. <laughs> too many people suggested Sergio Aguero versus Queen's Park Rangers. Uh, and Stephen has put together a great many um, uh, items of your correspondence and he has ignored all of those. <laughs> but I, I only dip in and out of the set-piece menu Twitter feed. But the... Is that... The, if Aduero's point, if the point on Aduero is not, is that not that context defines the goal? Yes. Like context of that, that was context, astonishing. Yes, context is a part of it, but it is not the overarching, yeah, okay. defining aspect. Ted Kessler summed up the approach in that regard by asking how we could so dismiss context breezily as we did. Context is all that matters in goal appreciation. A scuffed last-minute winner that decides a League Cup relegation derby beats any chip from halfway. Football is abstract only for the tiny minority. Who scored that penalty in the World Cup? Also, Braver football is scored sorry, the World Cup final winning Braver. penalty. In sorry. terms of context, that is the greatest goal. A penalty in a World Cup final no, no. to win it. That's why it's not all context, which is why we were able to talk about it uh, last week. Uh, Stuart Cooper uh, said this on an email to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Hello, professional football watchers, he says, with a snide element. <laughs> Absolutely flabbergasted that in a near hour of discussing best goals, there was no mention of Dennis Bergkamp's physics-defying effort against Newcastle. Whilst I consider this the best goal, as it involves a genuinely unique piece of skill and exists beyond... Uh, my comprehension is possible in game football. I'm more disappointed that your collective football watching hours failed to even give this goal a passing mention. And also from Saeed Rafiq, the definitive definition of the greatest goal has to be the one that no one has scored before. So, Ooh, for example, okay. Maradona in 86 against England, well, it might have been good at the time, but now it doesn't matter anymore because Messi does it all the time. And so he says, so the only goal which I can remember that has been truly unique is the goal Dennis Bergkamp scored against Nikos Davizas. Um, uh, <laughs> Terry Bass <laughs> Who's he on about? Against Newcastle, where the ball went one way and he spanned the other way. Dabby's ass was almost split in half. Can I say that that is my favourite oh, goal? Oh, playing to the audience. Of all time. It always has been. It has been my favourite Why did you never mention goal. it then? Yeah. Because it's what's the best goal, ah. which is the best goal. I do like the point about it's the goal that, that's never been scored before. I'm not sure how sustainable that is as an argument. The does also also perfectly executing a steal, a common steal, deserves credit. Um a, I wonder which team those two support. <laughs> and well, B, all of that would be relevant if Birdcamp had meant it. <laughs> yes, you don't think he meant it, did nope. you? Nope. I, I think he meant it, and therefore I love it. For, on a zim similar vein, Jerry Invincible on Twitter said, Love the pod, guys, but how can you have a full episode on the best goals and not mention Ronaldinho? Once again, we weren't looking for specific goal scorers. Yes, we yes, were yes, trying yes, to yes. discover what might be the best type of goal. Yeah. But which, I mean, yeah, subjective. Which, which Ronaldinho goal? I can't remember one. He, um, well, I, 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 the toe poke against Chelsea is the that's one. I, I said, yeah. look, if you want, if you want to suggest a edge of the penalty area outside of the boot, swerving just inside the post shot, then by all means do. We'll add For it to example, the list. as has For been example. scored yeah, yeah. by as Ronaldinho, been, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, yeah, the point yeah, yeah. about so what type of goal, type of goal, actual goal. But I do wonder whether actually speaking of Brazilians, and this isn't, this is getting closer to which is the best goal, Rivaldo. 
the overhead for, in the, to, in the no 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 against Valencia oh, to get right, Barcelona okay. to the Champions League last minute that has A perfect execution of a steal B is spectacular C was Rivaldo and D context that's what you need so maybe that context should be weighted I, I definitely agree with that point we're, we're all big fans of Maurizio Sarri and Napoli on Certainly the podcast are. and it's really nice that they've been listening because they very very <laughs> nearly <laughs> scored the best goal since we recorded that episode against Cagliari an 18 pass move that involved all 11 players on the pitch with a thunderous left foot finish from the edge of the penalty area by Marek Hamšík at the end and had it clipped the crossbar on the way in <laughs> it would have fulfilled yes. all criteria yeah. um, finally from Tom Maston who emails to say this just wanted to further the point that fans cannot be trusted with a case study from last season uh, in choosing the best goal in January 2017 West Ham's Andy Carroll won the Premier League Goal of the Month award for his scissor kick volley a prize voted for goal. by both an expert panel presumably including former pros and the public this made headlines given that it was scored in the same month as Olivier Giroud's scorpion kick goal for Arsenal goal. two days later however Giroud pipped Carroll to match of the day's Goal of the Month award a prize voted for entirely by viewers then Giroud's strike went on to win FIFA's Pushcast award for the best goal scored in all football across both the men's and women's games over a 12 month period who votes for this award well the public, albeit from a FIFA-determined shortlist that left out Carroll's goal. Despite that, Giroud did not end up winning match of the day's goal of the season prize for 2016-17, with that honour instead being bestowed on Liverpool's Emre Chan for his overhead kick against Watford, another strike that was not included in the Pushcast shortlist. Furthermore, Chan's goal was scored just 12 days before the end of the campaign, adding credence to the argument that context in terms of the passing of time also has a bearing on these arguments. Recent Tom Maston yeah. basically says ridiculous subjectivity is the scapegoat, but he's still saying which, not what. The recency bias was Emre Can occurred to me at the time. That there, was, there was a great goal if he meant it. There was not a chance that that was the best goal of the season. No. Carroll's was, was a similar steal and was a better, was better execution of it. But the, he's quite right on this why people have decided we should trust fans <laughs> to vote for things like this is Trust people to vote for anything. And I, do you know what, I bet you can track the nature of football tribalism really well in terms of the... the um, the, the, goal goal, the, goal, the goal of the month votes because it, I'm sure it didn't used to always be an Arsenal, Liverpool or a Man United player but now match that they open up don't, we don't don't let the public vote because you will always get one from those three clubs you could get a, a penalty scored by Laurent Koscielny or something that would win it <laughs> if it's the only goal Arsenal have scored that if, month if Ian Wright was on the panel which would bring all sorts of abuse that Ian Wright leave, gets you leave Wright out anyway anyway can I on a personal note thank you all for sending me the YouTube clips of your favourite goal <laughs> I have That's had great fun watching them and to the numerous who've sent Troy Deeney for Watford against Leicester in the Championship playoffs. Oh, that was amazing. I've seen that goal now more times than I care to ever <laughs> see again. At Setpiece Menu is where we are on Twitter. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Uh, please continue uh, to send them. Which is wrong? What is right? Please subscribe, share, rate and review. We humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Andy, Rory and Steve as well. Thank you to you all for listening. We'll be back with another Setpiece Menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I like it when Hugh gets all... Right. I mean, it's just that person. It's teachery. Even though really it was his fault. It well, was that's genetic. That's genetic. Both say, parents yeah. were yeah, like like teachers. What can I teach you to be Latin or be geography? Music teacher. Music teacher. Be music teacher. Be music teacher. Yeah. I basically say, here's Mahler's Fifth Symphony. See you in an hour and 20 <laughs> you know minutes. Bye. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd, be the, um, he'd be the inspirational music teacher in, in an inner city school. And he'd go in every, oh. every day and sort of Like go, the Dangerous Minds version. How do I reach these No, no, no. He'd be the teacher that was trying to be cool and failing miserably. You know I'd try and perch on the edge of the desk yeah. and would slip ever so slightly. Yeah. So it would always be a coffee, yeah. or, or in his case, a tea stain yeah. on, on the lapel because, you know, he'd been like chatting up, you know, another member of staff in the corridor. I've already said another member of staff. <laughs> 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 My career would have ended before it even began. <laughs>